One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is yet another uh, start to yet another week, but... uh, some things never change, do they? Yeah, that's right. Just Stop Oil are out there once again uh, holding up traffic. Only this time, the uh, traffic people, like i.e. the drivers, the people in taxis, the people in vans, starting to get a bit worked up. And I think it needs to stop before it gets out of hand because somebody is going to end up getting hurt and nobody wants to see that. Uh, it's all very well saying they've got the right to protest. Over the weekend, uh, one of their number, the one who keeps uh, gluing himself to things and tying himself to goalposts, was moaning that he's being held uh, in a prison pending trial, that he's been put in prison without trial. Well, it's hardly a gulag. He's put in prison on remand, like a lot of people are, because he keeps committing the same crimes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, Claire Fox is here. She may have a different view. Uh, the Battle of Ideas is coming up from the Academy of Ideas. Uh, Baroness Fox is running that this weekend. I'm delighted to say that myself and Kevin O'Sullivan are taking part amongst many other people, who good people, who you will want to go and see and discuss things with. And on this show, you can win some tickets to go there. And they're quite expensive, by the way, so you want to stay tuned for that. Uh, the clues are on my Twitter feed. You find it at IROMG. Coming up in this show, we're going to talk, of course, about Liz Trust and where she goes from here. I mean, she can't possibly have a worse week than she had last week, can she? Some people think that she's in at least until Christmas, possibly even uh, until the spring. But what is she actually going to do? And is she actually going to be able to win back any confidence from the great British public? We'll also talk about Nicola Sturgeon. It's the SNP conference. Uh, they want independence, of course. She hates the Tories. Detest them, actually, is the word she used. Um, she's entitled to say that. But is that wise? Why has politics become quite as toxic as it really is? Also, at the weekend, I put out a couple of pictures of the Metropolitan Police detectives who work in Downing Street as protection officers cleaning the cars in Downing Street. And you think, what are they doing that for? Apparently police say that's their job. They take pride in their cars and they clean their own cars. Seems to me they'd be better off arresting people. Just an idea. Peter Hitchens here, of course, as well. Uh, He's got plenty to say about what uh, Putin is up to and what's going on in Ukraine. And also what a proper Conservative leader would actually do. Uh, We've got loads more coming up. So much time. So little that we can say about it at the moment, but we will. 0344 499 1000, as ever we want your calls, because this is the only place where anybody cares about your opinion. Government doesn't care. No other outlets media-wise care. We actually do. We want to hear from you. We get great ideas from you guys. So uh, please do, by all means, get in touch. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. Join the Independent Republic right now. And just as an aside, by the way, you did see that a thousand migrants arrived uh, in one day over the weekend. I did predict that. It was quite nice weather. It's a bit windy, though. I don't know whether that's, uh, that makes it easier for them or not. But the sea was quite rough when I took the dog down there. Uh, so much so he didn't really want to go in it. So there we are. Anyway, uh, Baroness Fox is here. Claire, very good morning to you. Good to be with you, Mike. Nice to see you. We're going to be talking a lot about what's coming up this weekend. A very exciting event that you're putting on called the Battle of Ideas, uh, Academy uh, of Ideas. Ideas are in uh, short supply, it seems to me, at the moment. Well, it's interesting that you were saying about the show um, and about the channel, which is that you care about people's opinions. And I suppose that's the difference between the festival that we're organising this Mm. weekend, which is, whilst it's great to have people like you involved, and we've got 400 speakers Mm. on everything from environmentalism, the economy, art, science, everything you can think of, half the time's given over to the audience. So it's more like a public conversation, really. And they'll all be able to ask questions to whoever they're watching. Well, it's not just ask questions. They can actually speak. So we don't even say, what's your question? We say, 
what do you think? What do you want right, to say? It, so it's basically an attempt at creating the public square in mm. real life, face right. to face. Right, good. There's not enough of that, is there? Absolutely not. I mean, politics is very much top down. Mm. It's, you know, inevitably you have to have leadership, but you do feel that one of the reasons why Liz Truss is in the problem she's at is because a group of people sat around in a seminar mm. room, came up with what seemed like a great plan, yeah. didn't discuss it with anyone, brought it out, and then everyone said, what are you talking yeah. about? And they all went, oh, blimey. People and then she like ran it. away for a week. Yeah. I mean, that, the, the other thing was she didn't involve mm. herself in a conversation with the public. Yeah. And I suppose it's never underestimate the intelligence of our fellow citizens. Yeah. That's my view. Yeah. Um, there's basically loads of ideas that you could get by talking about what is a really serious economic situation. I mean, I don't want to underestimate what's going to happen. I mean, I do think that because we've had decades of undergrowth, mm. I mean, that's, she's right on that, um, it's not going to be sold by a few tax cuts. No. We've actually had cheap credit for a long mm. time. Interest rates are going to go up. We haven't got a sensible yes. energy set, uh, policy yet. So we're going to have some real problems. So you've got to talk to people like grown-ups about that. Yeah. You've got to say, look, this is not going to be easy, right? No. This is going to be difficult for us. What are we all going to do? You can't just... If you do a top-down thing, I think that's how people say, well, what are you going to do for me? Like, yeah. as though it's a passive relationship. Mm. Or why is but, that man getting more than I'm getting? Yeah, I mean, there's a really interesting explanation, if you saw it on Twitter, um, of the, the way that tax works. Yeah. And it was actually done by a guy just speaking straight... I think it was on TikTok. He's speaking straight into a camera, talking about, you know, if 20 guys go... Or if 10 guys go out and they split the bill according to the way the tax works, you know, the guy who pays the most will be the guy who has the most money. Right, and so then if they get some some money back because they get a discount, he gets more back. It's that simple. I like those kind of simple explanations yeah. on tax. I'm not great on yeah. fiscal policy. No. But what I do know is that if you want to actually have a, a policy of economic growth, you can't just hope that it's going to happen because you've made tax cuts. You actually do have to have some kind of strategy for investment in technology, mm. huge innovation projects, yeah. infrastructure projects. I don't mean a five-year plan. Uh, top down I mean go out and talk to people I mean if you want to know how to solve problems in the care sector for example and how to save mm. money ironically and to work out the best way of running care go talk to some care workers mm. right go and talk to some parents go to some care homes exactly and if you want to know how to you know modernise the fishing industry mm. go and talk to the people of the uh, of Grimsby yeah. right and, and, and let's talk about how we're going to change the way we have coastal communities so that they can become great marine yeah. biology centres of right. the world, right? Yeah. Not just, like, dependence on fishing. So there's all these things that you need to be able to do. At the moment, the government are running scared of the of the public. Yeah. The public are often just seen through opinion polls. Oh, they don't like us. Mm. Oh, change them so that they do like us. But that's not really what the public are like, as you no. know, because you talk to them no, all the time. No, like, they're operating like a sort of Twitter mob. They're running from one thing to another, stopping there, fixing that, running to the next thing to fix, and then running to the next thing. And meanwhile, what's going on behind them is it's all going wrong again. Yeah. So they have to come back to the beginning and start fixing it again. Well, when we uh, started the Battle of Ideas Festival 17 years ago, people said to us, you mean anyone from the public can just come? Yeah. I said, oh, yes. Yes. And they said, doesn't that cause trouble? And you knew that what they meant was... If you've got a big public debate, mm. you'll get all sorts of uh, mad people in. That's what the, the way that people think of the public. Yeah. Whereas actually what's happened is, I think we've had, in 17 years, two incidents, and both was because people were ill, mm. to be fair, and they were easily handled. Yeah. In other words, thousands of people get together once a year, That's all, we do lots of other things apart from that, and have a civilised discussion, mm. robust, yeah. lots of debate. Absolutely. People don't agree, they don't sit there. It's not a talking, it's not a, an echo chamber yes. where it's just but a talking shop. But I was going to ask you about this, and I think yeah. what Nicola Sturgeon said over the weekend yeah. um, has kind of fueled this, this toxicity that we seem to be finding ourselves yeah. in, because, you know, there's an awful lot of it on social media as well. But just before that, a bit of breaking news. Now, this may or may not surprise you. Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng will bring forward his medium-term fiscal plan to October the 31st. He has said this in a letter to the Chairman of the Commons Treasury Committee, Mel Stride. I mean, he might as well just uh, tell me he's going to reinvent the wheel. I mean, what does it mean? I was watching Question Time finally. I caught up with it over the weekend where Piers Morgan had that set two with Nadim Zahar. Yeah, yeah. And he's going... You know, and 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 then and then he was being asked the question. You know, well, when is he going to come? Well, well, uh, he's going to be telling you when he's going to come. Well, you don't know, do you? Well, he's going to tell you when. And he just couldn't. He couldn't say the words. I don't know. Like, no. Just admit you don't know. What's that's wrong what, with that's that? That's what I mean about uh, 
it's so insulting in a way that the politicians and lots of the media, by the way, think that the public are not able to cope with bad news or honesty. I mean, I actually think we've got to look people in the eye a bit more. Now, going on to Sturgeon, you, you're right. You know, she says she detests the Tories. I mean, I detest a lot of Tory policies. I detest a lot of SNP policies, let me tell you. And it can get quite lively. And there are times when I hear Sturgeon speak where I'm like furious with her, right? Especially in relation to women's rights, but also in the way that she's divisively pushing the referendum that I think is going to, could lead to the breakup of the United Kingdom. All of these things. But there's something about when she says it, and I notice it in the Lords, which starts back today, by the way, that rather than us having a robust exchange of views about politics, there's a kind of tribal hatred that takes over. And therefore, nobody's listening to each other. They've got a caricatured Mm. view of what the other person thinks. So I'll be sitting behind the Labour benches as an independent. That's where I sit. And they do test me, let me tell you. Um, But... They won't be listening to anything that comes from the Conservative benches because they'll just be snarling. Yeah. By the way, the Conservatives can be as bad. You know, they can just go, you're a rabid socialist. You're yeah. a, and, and in the end, you think, God, there's an economic crisis. Yeah. I want somebody to talk yeah. about it. But I don't think it's worthwhile, is it, for Nicola Sturgeon to say, I detest the Tories. No, because even if, even if she didn't mean individual Tories... It encourages other people exactly. to go, I hate Tories it as well. It personalises it. And I hate that, you because you're a Tory. Yeah. Well, you know what's happened is we've started not to um, have uh, proper political engagement, but where you basically try and delegitimise the people that you're against by making them beyond the pale of discussion. Mm. And there's something about saying you detest them. I mean, if you detest people, what's the point in engaging with them? Yeah. You know, if you call people and that's what ends up Nazis happening. or right. fascists or far right, and we yeah. know that happens all the time. All the time. Then you basically are saying, I'm not bothering with them. Yeah. They're beyond the pale of political debate. Yeah. What I then mean, happens got, is you get stuck a, in a... To- I got uh, called a fascist at the weekend for you? questioning whether uh, Keir Starmer knew it was women that were actually playing football. And they all jumped to the wrong conclusion and went, why don't you like women playing football? Are you just a misogynist? And I went, well, no, it's he's the one who can't define a woman. So I was just wondering if he knew they were women or uh, whether he was able to say whether they but were women. You're not allowed to be either sarcastic no. or ironic no. or have a sense of humour. There is none of that. And, and the other thing is, is that misogyny has become the word we use now because everything's ramped up. You're not allowed to say that was a bit of mild sexism, Mike. No. It's always misogyny. Oh, yeah. You hate women, right? right? And it's it's not just like... It's not even just like... Which rep- wasn't even the point I was making anyway. No, I know you weren't. But all I'm saying is, why do we use words like that? Mm. Because it really does have the impact on well, making like you absolutely beyond the pound. I was getting a racist uh, all weekend, the previous weekend. I can't even remember why. <laughs> but I've now taken to just blocking anyone that calls me a racist because it's like it's not even worth arguing with them. We're losing control of our language this yeah. way as well because there are actual real racists. Yeah. There are, there are actually real misogynists. misogynists. Yeah. But you can't use that word anymore because it's now become... A, a go-to uh, insult, a joke and word, I think the detest thing just sows a, a, a nasty atmosphere yeah. around politics that implies that people are. I mean, detest is a very strong. It term. is a strong word. It's I mean, like I, the scum word, you I know. The Angela Rayner. I, I can honestly word. say, hand on heart, I don't detest anybody. No. I really don't. I just don't have those feelings. But stay where you are. We've got to take a little break. Uh, Baroness Fox is here. Uh, we're talking about ideas because that's what the business is of, of what we are in. If I could put a sentence together, I should probably be on the radio. Um, I'll try that again. That is the business we are in, the business of ideas. We want to hear yours. Uh, you'll, I'm afraid, have to hear ours. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Baroness Fox is here. We've been talking about uh, what's coming up at the weekend, which is uh, the battle of ideas. And we've got two pairs of tickets to give away. Way, right, so let me just explain uh, what is going on. Uh, they're worth £400, uh, these tickets, and they're tickets for the Academy of Ideas Battle Fest, which is taking place in London this weekend. To be in contention of winning these tickets, just tweet me on my Twitter account, which is at IROMG, with the first thing you do as PM. The question is, what's the first thing you would do if you were Prime Minister? And you just include hashtag BOI2022 with your response. You will need to be able to attend the event this weekend in London. Uh, I'll select my two favourite answers at the end of the show, and we we will be in touch with you and contact you so that you can go. But it will be a fabulous event. Um, Baroness Fox is here to tell us a bit about it. Tell us who else is going to be there. Um, well, Just some of your selection. some of your regulars. Yeah. Uh, um, we've got William Clouston. We've got Rod Little. Yeah. We've got quite a lot of uh, speakers from the green side of things. Martin okay. Wright. 
Rory Laban. Oh, there's loads of people. I mean, there's 400 speakers, and so I'm drowning in. I can't remember anybody's name. I can't name. even imagine. Sanetra Gupta speaking, who I know was very important during the lockdown. She's speaking yeah. on uh, um, courage, as is Julie Bindle. Uh, loads of stuff from indoctrinating our kids. Uh, is that what schools are doing? Lots of the themes that you look at here. How we're going to solve the energy mm. crisis, the economy problems. The main thing is, although the tickets full price are expensive, we've got free tickets for school pupils uh, um, and there's lots of reductions for students and people who can't afford the full price. So get in touch. But the main thing is, I'm fed up of sitting around getting frustrated and cynical about politics. And that's because you sometimes think politics is run by politicians. Mm. But even though I am a politician, we should remember that actually what politics really is, is British citizens deciding on the future yeah. of the country that we live in. Exactly. And, and I we've mean, got to take control, say, haven't we? Yeah, really? we have. People do say, don't they, the only time you really see any politicians is when there's an election uh, and they come knocking on your door asking for your vote. Yeah, we don't have um, any politicians speaking of those 400, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good thing. Um, but again, going back to question time, and I, there was the exchange between the Dean Zahawi and Piers Morgan about, you know, Piers asking him to apologise. And I mean, again... There's an awful lot of that, isn't there, now in, in politics today, that you have to say sorry for things, and apparently that means something. I'm not sure that that's as important as people think it is. But, again, he couldn't bring himself to say it until right at the end. He was, of course, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, he... but I got frustrated with that, no mm. disrespect to Piers, because I think that that's almost the way we see politics now, which is forcing politicians to grovel and say, I'm sorry. But I mean, even if they say it, what does that mean to me? Mean I'm not interested in that. No. So it becomes a bit performative, yes, don't you think? And I, I do. And I also thought that it got in the way of having that conversation, which is what I really wanted to hear Nadim Zawi deal with. But also, he can't say it. He's not sure what the whips will say, whether he'll get into trouble. Now, if politics and politicians are reduced to looking over their shoulder, not because they're, they've got the British public breathing down their, th- uh, their necks, to do the right thing, but in case there's a gotcha moment yeah. on the media or that they're going to get in trouble from the internal party stuff, that's unsatisfactory. It is, and I think the media play a big part in this as well. Um, and, you know, I've often been very frustrated at the way the media you know, comports itself, if you like, because if you do say sorry as a politician, you can be very sure that the next part of the conversation will involve, well, then you must admit you made a mistake. Now resign. Now resign. And then it just goes down this ridiculous road. Exactly. That's not what we should be doing. Once you make any concessions on that point, I mean, you know, you want a bit of humility, right? I mean, uh, I'm not suggesting that there's a kind of arrogance. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think Liz Truss is in difficulty because her idea was no U-turns from me, although it didn't last. But, you know, I'm going to be hardline. Mm. But that's not the same as, like, not listening to anyone and being tin in and not hearing anything. So you can have that approach to politics, which is, I carry on regardless. But that's not really leadership. Mm. But on the other hand, if you're constantly looking at opinion polls Mm. and you're constantly only ever thinking is this popular, you'll never be courageous, will you? You do actually have to give a lead. Sometimes you do, um, but that's only okay if it's the right way to go because sometimes that's difficult. I mean, again, um, going back to, say, the Blair years, you know, Blair came in, he was this fresh-faced kind of young, young family um, you know, new ideas. It was almost like the new white hot technological yeah. era from the Wilson days, you know, uh, only modernised. But then after he'd been in for two terms, he started saying things like, well, of course, sometimes you have to do things that are unpopular. And you kind of go, well, that wasn't the guy that got elected. You didn't say that when you got in in 97. Yeah. Well, I think that you that you have to have the courage to be unpopular sometimes. Yeah. But you have to really explain yourself. Um, I think that one of the problems that we had with Blair was obviously the Iraq war, yes. which was just that, Actually, the British public have never forgiven him no. for. I mean, never mind the Iraqi people, by yes. the way, and the fact he's destabilised the whole of the Middle East. Yeah. But I do find it, it it's a balancing act mm. that you want to be able to have the courage to do it, but then actually you'll be dealt with in an election. That is what happens in politics. Yeah. So I don't want to encourage people to only ever do the populist thing, mm. but it's also the case that you have to constantly talk to, explain win over mm. the British public. Yeah. So what they well, think is unpopular, they'll them. say the same about net zero, right. won't they? They'll say, it might not be popular, but it's the right moral yes. thing to do, and then impose austerity, right. green austerity sh- on our lives, surely, no reason. And surely the point is to try and bring the, as many people with you as possible, so yeah. make the case. You know, exactly. That's be, what, be a persuader. If they won't be persuaders, yeah. and that's one of the things that really was a problem with that mini-budget, mm. was that nobody explained what was going on. No. They didn't. They just sort of said, we're going to have a bigger cake, yeah. we want growth. 
by the way, a position I hold. Yes. Because I've always hated that narrow redistributionist approach. Mm. We've got a small cake and you just fight yeah. and squabble over who has the crumbs, right? right? Not my approach. Grow the cake. Great idea. But explain that, will yeah. you? This has got to have the depth of philosophy and economics exactly. behind it, not just an assertion and, and then run away. It in ways which actually make sense to people. Because yeah. nobody understands the bond market. You can't go talking on about no. the bond but they market. Could have had a, they could have had every single day, they could have had a daily press release, couldn't mm. they? You know, well, like they, they did have. during the COVID thing. Yeah, but I and don't they could have actually. That, though. Well, I'm not saying, I mean, but all I'm saying is they could have explained it. Yes. Whereas, in fact, what happened was we never saw them well, maybe until they she can't made explain it. it. Maybe I that's suspect the point. that it's a shallow approach to economics, yeah. which is... I mean, like I said, reading that uh, press release there from all the, the news, breaking news about Quasi Quartang's, you know, explanation of everything, it might as well have said, I'm going to tell you how the world was created, but I'm going to tell you on October 31st, it was going to be November. I know, I know. And then know. we moved it forward. So, so, so in, a, in a room in Downing Street, that seems like progress. Out here, it doesn't mean nothing. And also, they won't admit that for the last period of time, they've actually had cheap... Uh, low interest rates, cheap credit, and then the Tories actually were trying to say, and that's why we're so successful with the economy. Whereas actually, it's created think, a lot of the problems. They might stop saying that for right, a while. They might, yeah. But also, we did have two years of lockdown, and if you close down the economy for two years, that's going to precipitate a massive economic shock. Yeah. Even though the economy was weak before that. But all of the parties went along with that. Mm. So they don't want to talk about that, do they? No, they course. don't want to explain that. And now we're faced with a situation, and we're nearly out of time here, which is unfortunate, but um, we're faced with a situation where, we'll pick this up again on Saturday, uh, yeah, if, yeah. If, if you're around, um, which, of course, you will be. Very busy. Oh, indeed. Um, uh, we're now faced with a situation where people say, oh, well, maybe they won't bother having another leadership election in the Tory party. They'll just appoint somebody as the new prime minister. You're kind of going, look, we don't really mind you giving us a different prime minister because that's what you do. But you can't just appoint someone who nobody's voted for, not even in the Tory party. I have to say that Hello? I laughed very hard at Grant Shapps offering to take over as a caretaker <laughs> prime minister. This is a man who notoriously could not only not get the trains to work, but is just like generally not seen as fit. Yes. The idea that he thinks of himself yeah. as fit to lead the right. country, as you say, with no democratic right. nod at all, this is even the, to his own party. This is party. the guy who, as Secretary of State for Transport, went on holiday to Spain without knowing that it was about to be locked down. <laughs> yeah, no, and I he know. couldn't get back. I know. And who also, what as a, a Secretary, his, his transport policy was walk more and cycle a bit. Yes. And attack car drivers and not make the trains work. Yeah. I mean, great. Well done, Grant. Yeah, definitely definitely contender. Uh, Baroness Fox, brilliant to see you. Uh, we'll see you on Saturday. Absolutely. Um, we'll and you, and um, see all of the uh, listeners and viewers. Yes. Because you're all welcome, because it's a public debate. And God, if talk TV people, you're the perfect people to come along. Yeah, there you go. And make your views heard. There you go. Do it. We'll give you more details on all of that coming up later on. Coming up next, we're going to talk about what the police are actually doing doing and what they should be doing should they be washing cars this is talk tv nationwide by your side talk radio and talk tv welcome back to the independent republic of mike graham right here on talk tv we are with you until one o'clock of course uh, i'll be back tonight on jeremy carl's show uh, which launches tonight at uh, seven o'clock you won't want to miss that jeremy will be here later on in this show to tell us what's coming up peter hitchens is here right now we're going to talk about a great many things including um the blowing up of that bridge to crimea uh, over the weekend we'll also talk about liz truss he wrote his column about her comprehensive history as she put it uh, we'll also talk a little bit about sue suella braverman uh, who wants to now go along with what some police chiefs have suggested uh, and make cannabis a class a drug we discussed this a bit last week peter's not in favor i don't think i am either uh, but we'll take lots of your calls as well 0344 499 1000 apparently nicola sturgeon detests the tories i don't think anybody's that surprised but why did you have to say it 0344 499 1000 is the number this is talk tv i'm mike graham let's get it on Peter Hitchens is here. Very good afternoon. Very good morning to you, I should hey, say. Good morning, Wishing I hope. Wishing the day hope. away. Yeah, yeah, what a beautiful day it's turned out to be after the rain of this morning. Loveliest time of the year. I mean, always you cycle is. a lot, but I was, I'm always encouraged when it rains because hardly anybody cycles. And only you think proper, of me getting wet. Proper, no, not you, because I like you. And um, it's only these sort of fair weather cyclists. There's a guy that works at Virgin who comes in day in, day out. He said, this is my weather for cycling because he says all the fair yeah. weather cyclists get out of the way. They don't bother coming out. It's true. And, and I mean, it is very true. Um, but now it's a beautiful day. The skies have, have cleared for you. No, it's just, it's just the loveliest time of the year. I do like autumn, I must it's say. Great. It's uh, energy returns, and it's, it's, it's extreme. And the I know why people don't like it more. The it's much nicer than the summer. Boring, yes. humid, 
flaccid time. You're yet. supposed to go to other places for that sort of weather, aren't you? Let's talk about your column this week. You wrote about um, Liz Truss and how ludicrous it was, one, to boast about having a comprehensive education, but also then to point out that some of her stories seem to be slightly un... How should we put it? It's not 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 recollected quite as well as uh, they might have been. Well, there we are. People do suffer from <laughs> uh, all of us. I think suffer from 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 uh, distorted yes. recollections. I thought I went to past. a terrible school, for example. Well, it's, she, I remember it, it was we had an encounter on on Question Time back in 2013, and she was saying, "Oh, I went to a comprehensive school, and it was very ordinary and average." And I said, "What in Roundhay?" Because yeah. I know a bit, a bit about Leeds. I right. know Roundhay is is a pretty affluent part of Leeds, yeah. totally. And no Leeds is a pretty wealthy city in A places. lot of Leeds is wealthy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's by no means a poverty-stricken part of uh, part of the north. No. But the thing was that she, she said it was average, and, uh, and she keeps on saying this, but of course, like almost all uh, the comprehensive schools attended by the middle class, particularly the educated and well-off middle class, it was much superior to the bog-standard schools mm. on the other side of town. Yeah. And although it was nothing like as good, as the old grammar schools, the pre-1965 grammar schools used to be, because they were superb. Yeah. It's a good deal better than what you would normally otherwise get, which you got to Oxford from it. And it's a really peculiar thing that Tory politicians have taken to doing. Mm. Theresa May actually went to a grammar school which became a comprehensive while she was there. Right. And she always put in reference books that it was a comprehensive school without mentioning the grammar period. Uh, which is again was odd. Why is it? I think you can see why Labour is still wildly committed yes. uh, to comprehensive education. There was one Labour MP who I won't name, who actually used to put in his who's who entry that he went to a comprehensive school before comprehensive <laughs> schools were even invented. <laughs> it's a sort of reverse snobbery. He was so isn't keen it? to have been to yeah. one that he that he actually. But it's changed. a sort of reverse snobbery, isn't but, it? It's worse than that. It's it's a it's it's a it's a wild dogma. There was a great belief. In the 40s and 50s, among a lot of left-wing people, that if we had common schools, as mm. they called them, that everybody went to, we'd, it would be a social revolution in society, and also education would yeah. be better. And they didn't really have any evidence to back this up, and they went ahead without any elaborate uh, plans or research. Mm. They just did it. And very quickly, it turned out to be wrong. The comprehensives were, first of all, they were class-biased because they were they, they were area-based. And, yeah. and you, you, if, if you lived in an expensive part of town, you went to a better school. Mm. Which is nobody's idea of, of uh, it seems to me, of undermining privilege. In fact, yeah. it reinforces privilege. And then the results began to sag. In fact, the old GCE O-level, which you probably remember, I did. I was first them. of all watered down yeah. and then abolished because yeah. the comprehensives simply couldn't cope with it, mm. whereas the grammar schools found to doddle. And interestingly... A lot of the much maligned secondary modern schools uh, were taking O levels very successfully. Right. The, 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 in the well, they used to have O levels and CSEs. I think they did, but yeah. the, the CSEs weren't very satisfactory. No. Nobody much liked them. Employers weren't keen on them. But mm. the, the, a lot of the secondary moderns were taking quite large numbers of O levels, and it, this is a forgotten part of our history. Some of them were also taking A levels. Many of them uh, would send their pupils over to the nearby grammar school mm. to complete A level courses, right. uh, and it, it's it, it, it's a fascinating parts of this debate that for many, many years people said, oh, so the grammar schools may have been all right, but the secondary moderns were terrible. But one of the very few bits of research which was done by uh, by John Marks and Baroness Cox in, I think, 1983-ish, mm. uh, on exam results from secondary moderns and grammar schools as compared with comprehensives, which at that stage still coexisted. Yeah suggested that the, the secondary moderns were actually doing better than the comms. Yeah. So if that's so, and there was fury at this, the Department of Education absolutely exploded with rage and tried to discredit the report. Mm. It was a huge fuss, and in the end, Sir Keith Joseph, who was then Education Secretary, yeah, remember him. had to come to Parliament and say that the report was valid. Goodness me. He had, he, had, he had to defend the report against his own civil servants. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It's forgotten that. But that was probably the only piece of direct comparative research mm ever done between comprehensives and their predecessors. And comprehensives it didn't, it didn't, really... didn't look good for them. And ever since then, examinations have been watered down. Yeah. And comprehensives were the beginning, really, of the, of the kind of the dumbing down of the education system, weren't they? Because they, didn't, they had to kind of find the lowest point and teach everybody at that level. They were in the form they took. Some yeah. of the early comprehensives were very good. Mm. Uh, they had excellent headmasters, and they, they continued to have honours boards and teachers in gowns and, mm. and assemblies in the morning and, and discipline. You, could, you found it very hard to tell them from grammar schools. Very quickly, the ethos of the age ate away at that, and they introduced mixed ability mm. teaching and got rid of uh, got rid of streaming 
and in, in general were became much more comprehensive. And of course, the the middle classes fled from those yeah. schools and went to the ones in better areas. But the or, or they or they or they went private. I think a lot more people oh, it did, it did. went private in in that case as well. They did. Um, that had been going on for some time because the grammar schools had been getting harder to get into yeah. because of the population bulge. I mean, I've written a book about this. I'm yeah. horribly expert on it. So you're it, no, it's so, good. So Michael Gove wouldn't approve of me, but I, I am. I think Michael Gove stopped talking to me. I'm not quite sure. The fascinating thing is that the, the Tory party was was never the friend of the grammar schools. While they still existed, it built very few, it yeah. did little to defend them. And when they started being destroyed, in fact, it was Margaret Thatcher as the Tory education secretary who signed off on the closure of more grammar schools mm. than, any, than any Labour minister. And she did go to one, didn't she? She very much did, yes, yeah. and, it, uh, and she was very grateful. That's surprising, because well, I went to a grammar school, um, I believe it still exists in some form or other, either directly granted or direct aided or something like that, Cardinal Vaughan in West London. Um, but that was a Catholic grammar school. Yeah, so well, you they, could they, gain entry to that, even though I didn't live in the catchment area, but I had to take the 11 plus to get in. Yes, know? and it's still, I mean, it, 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 put it like this, I think it would be fair to say that it's probably harder to get into than some other school. Yes. I mean, it's, it, it is a comprehensive school in the way that Number 10 Downing Street is a, is a, is a terrorist house in Central. <laughs> and we used to have, London. of course, Holland Park comprehensive up the road, which was where all the trendy people went yes. and where all the trendy sort of um, actors and politicians sent their children. Yeah, well, that was very, that close, was very, very close to where, to where, to where Tony Benn and, and his wife lived. Yes. Well. It's, 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 it's become quite trendy again. But mm. uh, it, uh, The point is that the comprehensive experiment failed very rapidly as educationally and socially. It didn't unite the country. Mm. It still led very strongly to class segregation, and the education results of it were bad. But instead of saying we've made a mistake, the, both the educational establishment and the political establishment have, have, have shoved this under the carpet. By their actions, mm. you can see that they don't really believe in it. Uh, Left-wing people are constantly sending their children to schools of the Cardinal Vaughan type, which are technically comprehensive, but yeah. not really. Uh, the, 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 the Tories either go private or they, they, they've learnt the same wangling thing. They yes. all know the truth of it. And what baffles me is why, when education is such a vitally important mm, subject... It really country, is. So many people at the tops of all three political parties won't talk about this mm. or admit there's anything wrong. Yeah. Germany, in fact all the German-speaking countries in Europe, I think, still have uh, grammar schools. Yeah. And they are, I think, probably the most successful economically, Socially, and in every other way of the, of, the, of the countries in Europe, yeah. and and the private education, except for for, for fairly dim people, is pretty much unknown yeah. in Germany. Uh, there's, there's no need for it. People no. expect good education from the yeah. state. In well, I've always said, if schools. they did away with private schools in this country, the education system would improve overnight. Because ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget... Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns all the people who care about their kids' education would suddenly be involved in all the schools as opposed to just some of the schools. Well, but what do you classify as private education? Well, I anything I you pay for. I would classify private education education you pay for by buying a house in an expensive cash rent area. That's private education. You can't abolish that. Well, yeah, well, you, also, yeah, but you, yeah, but you, you can, can it, you can abolish fee-paying schools. Well, you can, but then they will establish themselves in, in Ireland or on the continent or, or in the Far East and people will send their children to them. Only a totalitarian country could actually do this. And in mm. fact, it's very interesting that Labour, which constantly mounts these tirades against 
fee-charging independent Mm. schools. I don't approve of fee-charging independent schools. I think they're deeply unfair. Labour is constantly raging against them, but during long periods in power with big majorities, it's never done anything about them at all. Whereas what it did do... Many of them have also sent their children to them. Not so many as used to, but what Labour did do was was destroy uh, all the good state schools. Mm. Uh, which is, it's quite extraordinary. The the rhetoric is always against private schools, but they never actually do anything about them, what they do. And the other thing is, you hear politicians constantly saying, what we need is more cooperation between the state sector and the private sector. We used to have uh, things called direct uh, grant schools, Mm. uh, which were private day schools, which also took large numbers of uh, of pupils for no fees from state primaries. It was a fantastically successful schools and a, a very good example of cooperation. And what did Labour do? They abolished it. Mm. So whenever you hear a politician saying, I want more cooperation between private and state schools, say, that, well, why did you close down the, <laughs> the only, the, the only time ever. you ever did this? Yes, when they had the chance to make it happen, they didn't do it. Peter Hitchens is here. We'll talk about Crimea. We'll talk about Ukraine coming up. Also, Suella Braverman wishing to make cannabis a Class A drug. Uh, we'll get stuck into that as well. 0344 499 1000. Wayne says this, Mike, I think with all these oil protesters, uh, they should be putting the stocks and throwing rotten vegetables at them, give them a year in jail, name and shame them with photos everywhere around the country. Well, I mean, they're always on uh, some kind of social media. Everybody knows what they look like. I'm not sure about the stocks, though. It may be a bit past that. Uh, we shall see. Uh, we'll take more of your calls later, though. Uh, this is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. More coming up with Peter Hitchens. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've been talking about education with Peter Hitchens. And one of the problems, of course, in a lot of schools is the amount of drug use there is and how many students, if you want to call them that rather than pupils, uh, who are under the age of 18, end up smoking marijuana. Uh, Suella Braverman. Uh, has gone along with some of the suggestions from last week about uh, making a Class A drug and therefore curbing the use of it. Peter Hitchens has spoken an awful lot about uh, about marijuana and legalisation of it and Class A drug making of it. And, um, you know, does this mean it's closer to actually happening if the Home Secretary well, says she it, wants it, to do it? It may happen, but it's gesture. I, already marijuana has been moved up and down, down to Class C, back up again to Class B. Mm. And technically, possession of marijuana carries a five-year prison sentence and an unlimited fine. I think you would have to scour through the records of all the courts in this country for many, many years to find anybody receiving anything remotely resembling that sentence, even for a a fifth offence. It simply is not prosecuted. And that that, that is the problem with marijuana. Not that the the classification is too high or too low, but that it is not prosecuted. The police don't actually pay any attention to it. And you you know as well as I do on windless summer days in London much of the city stinks of marijuana. Mm. Uh, you, you can see... But not just London, pretty much anywhere you yeah, go. People smoke, yeah, not just London, as you rightly say, but it is, I think, like all the social problems of the country, worse here. Yeah. But you see it everywhere. And it is... Under, if you see a police officer, which is, of course, it's much harder to see a police officer than it is to see a spliff in yes. London these days. But if you see a police officer, he or she passing by will pay no attention to this. No. Even when the marijuana people hold their, their, their annual 20th of April demonstration yeah. in Hyde Park, they're pretty much left to get on with it. You mm. have to, you, you, I think you'd probably blow it in the face of a police officer and not much would happen to you. That is the thing which needs to be done. Mm. And people I mean, say, oh, well, this, is, this is impossible. But the truth is that it used to be done here until the early 70s, and it is still done in two highly civilised countries, namely Japan and South Korea, which continue to prosecute possession mm. now, if they what, what we do a lot of and do they have less of a problem as a result they do have less of a problem i would say as a result it's it's hard to measure whether it's a result or not and certainly japan has had a drug problem not interestingly with marijuana mm. the drug laws of japan were instituted because they had a very bad amphetamine problem mm. after the war which they tried hard to stamp out right. and they the, the laws now are applied against marijuana social disapproval of marijuana use is also still strong partly because the law is still strong right uh, but the, generally the use is, I think people who, who went from this country to either of those countries might be rather surprised if they had a marijuana habit mm. to find out how much harder it was to pursue it there and how much more dangerous it was to pursue right. it here than there. I think you, most people with any sense wouldn't try it. So it can be done. And it, it, we're not talking here about those Asian countries which impose the death penalty for drugs. We're right. talking about law-governed parliamentary democracies with uh, with reasonable legal systems, which nonetheless... Prosecute, so it it could be done, mm. but only if you get the police to do it. 
But the police, who are basically paramilitary social workers in uniform, are not interested in no. pursuing it. But here's this crazy thing. The, the, the law will still, to some extent, pursue the, the trafficking of drugs. They do. Now, how does this make sense? If, if the trafficking of drugs is presumably illegal and frowned on because the drugs themselves are bad, mm. well, what is the point at which the badness of the drugs makes itself felt? When they're taken. Yes. It's not when they hand it. If they hand it around inert and nobody ever swallowed or smoked them, they wouldn't do any harm, would mm. they? So why is it the actual action of possessing them, which is the heart of the crime, and which also is the the source of all the money which flows into the hands of all the of, of, of all the cartels, if if all that uh, is the case, why is it the one part of the drug trade which is not pursued is possession? Mm. Mr. Big is actually the millions of selfish young men and women, and not so young in many cases in in Europe and America, who fund the cartels and the whole drugs yeah. trade with their pounds mm. and euros and dollars. And no, nothing is done about them. No. They're treated as, and if, it they, can as only if they're be, victims. Yeah, they well, they are, because that's the, that's how they're looked upon. And it would seem as though um, almost uh, you're, you're, if you're a user, you're, it's apparently not your fault. You know, you've somehow been put upon by these ghastly criminals and they've made you into somebody who needs yeah. drugs. So you mustn't be punished for that. Well, you need, to, you need treatment as, right. if you, as if you were ill. I find this particularly infuriating. If, if um, people choose to take drugs, mm. they, they, they don't choose to be ill. If, if people who had cancer could choose to give up having cancer, I ha- happen to think that they would do so. Yes. Uh, to claim that, that, that taking drugs is something you cannot stop and is an illness seems to me to be yeah. an insult. Although, of course, there are the also many people, many people who do take drugs who say they take drugs and they don't do them any harm and they use them recreationally and they're very happy with that. Well, they say that, but, of course, what we don't know in these cases is what they, what they, they and their lives would have been like if they mm. hadn't taken drugs yeah. and how much damage they've done. What we all know, I think, anybody who lives in this society and knows anybody is, is what is called anecdotal evidence, particularly of young men, mm. uh, whose lives have been ruined by the, the mental illness which mm. seems to accompany the use of marijuana. I say seems to accompany because the connection between the drug and the mental illness has not been proven. Yeah. Uh, mind you, causation is very hard to prove, but the correlation between a marijuana use and mental illness is shockingly hard. Well, I think I said this the other day to you, that there was um, uh, an interview with an American doctor uh, recently over this same debate who said that there was a very big increase, a spike even, uh, in the in number of cases of psychosis amongst young men in American hospitals in states where marijuana was legalised. Well, it wouldn't be a surprise. No. The, the other thing is if you, if you... There is one... These days, crime is so common in this country that most of it's not reported, and the local newspapers have become very weak. Well, even that incident in Liverpool Street the other day, yeah. I mean, it was bumped down the sort of the pecking order of the news in about inside two hours. This, this is the point, you see. There is a, one small subset of crime which is which is still very intensively reported, and it's, it's rampage killings and terrorist attacks. Mm-hmm. And in that one small subset, and I, I, what I say will, here is always distorted into something other than what I say, in that one small closely studied subset, which interestingly includes the Uvalde shooting in Texas yeah. uh, earlier this year, uh, you will find a very, very large percentage of the culprits are long-term marijuana users. Mm. In Uvalde, here's the fascinating thing. The New York Times sent a reporter I remember this. to Uvalde, and, she, and, and, and uh, he or she, because they sent several, reported that the culprit was a user of marijuana after talking to a work right. colleague. They put it on their website, then they dropped it mm. because the, the New York Times didn't feel it was it was not uh, relevant. Well, we sent the Mail on Sunday sent a reporter yes, to Uvalde, found the same person, mm. and and absolutely established yeah. uh, that the shooter was a marijuana user. Well, I, why is it that one has to go to these lengths? Mm. It, 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 it seems to me to be a vitally important thing that we that, that we understand that there is a connection yes. between this supposedly peaceful hippie drug, and actually quite a lot of mm. violence. And it, it, it's, it's available, studyable with these crimes. What if we studied all violent crimes and, and, and checked the drug use of all violent criminals? What would we find? Yeah, interesting. We haven't got long, a um, couple of minutes really, to talk about latest developments in um, Ukraine, uh, yeah. Crimea specifically. Uh, Russia also upping the ante a little bit this morning, it would seem. This is very serious. Mm. I mean, the, 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 the Kerch Bridge was, an, was a vital national project for Russia, as was the Nord Stream pipeline. And attacks on them, I think, are, are, are attacks on what you might call national integrity. And the, I think it's, it's taking the war to a, to a new state. Mm. Well, if you want that, then that's what you want. But I think that the, the horrible things that have been happening in various Ukrainian cities this morning suggest that it's not going to be much fun for an awful lot of 
innocent people. Mm, exactly right. Well, Peter, good to see you. Um, we'll see you next week. Um, this week for Liz Truss will be an interesting one, I suppose. But um, as we were saying earlier, all catastrophes kind of calmed down. We're back into a period of calm, it would seem, for a few days. Will yes, you enjoy that? I know. It's always that moment when when the wagon train circles and it's it's very quiet. <laughs> that you need to worry, as they always used to say, it's too quiet just before the arrows started really thudding is. into the yeah. wagons. Nothing I terrible. Wouldn't, I wouldn't relax no, about Liz Truss. Nothing terrible has happened for days now. It seems extraordinary. <laughs> Don't say that. Uh, but it is only Monday. We shall see. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll be talking uh, to Miriam Cates uh, about uh, the whole transgender debate. Uh, we'll also be having uh, Jeremy Carl along uh, to tell us what's coming up on his show tonight from 7 o'clock. It's a brand new show uh, here on Talk TV, 7 o'clock. Jeremy Carl, 8 o'clock, Piers Morgan, 9 o'clock, The Talk, um, and of course 10 o'clock uh, is first edition with Tom Newton Dunn. It's all happening. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Ian in York says this. Sturgeon is a left-wing authoritarian. Look at the hate speech bill they've enacted and all of the rules and regulations they enforced in quite a draconian way during lockdown. Far longer than ours. I think the Scots, if the Scots broke away, it would very quickly degrade into some sort of Stasi-type police state. I don't believe she'd resign if they lost a referendum. Well, do you know, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon has done one thing, which is very much put the focus on her uh, as the SNP conference gets underway um, over the course of the next couple of days. And of course, famously, she said on the BBC yesterday uh, that she detests the Tories and all they stand for. We're going to talk to Miriam Cates now, who's a Conservative MP for Pennystone and Stockbridge, because we're going to find out uh, about the latest uh, on the transgender wars. Parents have been blocked from checking their child's trans sex education lessons and online pharmacies are selling transitions, DIY transitions to children. It's a very strange world we now live in. Um, Miriam, a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Before we talk about that, can I just ask you about Nicola Sturgeon? I mean, I don't quite know what it is that she detests about the Tories. She's tried to clarify and make out that actually, oh, well, it's not actually individual Tories. She just hates Tories. I mean, pretty stupid thing to say, isn't it, for a politician? Yeah, this is the kind of mystery of the left versus right conflict, isn't it? That those of us on the right think those of us on the left are misguided and those on the left think those of us on the right are evil. That seems to be at the, the root of these discussions. But, you know, look, Nicola Sturgeon, in many ways, is a highly effective politician. Uh, but obviously, I have some serious disagreements on with her, particularly as we're about to talk it, uh, talk about it, on yes. some of the issues around um, uh, single-sex spaces and reforms to the Gender Recognition Act. Yeah, well, I mean, she was very much in the news about all of that last week with her uh, J.K. Rowling exchange, wasn't she, where she was basically saying um, that under her kind of... Uh, belief system. Um, it is not that trans women are in any way a danger to other women. Uh, it's abusive men. To which I said, yeah, well, then surely you would not allow those abusive men to pose as trans women and enter areas where they can do harm. Exactly. And the problem with this whole debate is it's been framed as a culture war or about trans rights. But actually, this is a debate about safeguarding. Yeah. And the first rule of safeguarding is that if you open up a loophole, predators will move into it. So, of course, we're not saying nobody's saying all men are a threat or trans people are a threat. We're saying if you open up a way by which predators can easily access vulnerable women and vulnerable children, they will move into that space. And then if you add on to the fact uh, add on to that the fact that most people are too frightened to enter this debate for fear of being looking uh, being called bigoted or, uh, or or transphobes then you've got an open door and so we have to frame this as a safeguarding debate uh, and as a fundamental threat to the safety of women and children exactly right and i'm looking at a story here which beggars belief actually uh, parents of children at a place called hatcham college do not have a right to see teaching materials being taught to their own children I mean, this is absolutely unbelievable because, again, back to safeguarding, the most important way to safeguard a child is to make sure that their parents have the fundamental responsibility for that child because nobody is more biologically, more emotionally, more financially invested in the future of a child than their biological parents. And so to separate a child from their parents in any way, whether that's through what is taught or physically separate them, is dangerous. And I find it unbelievable that, that schools who are in loco parentis, they're only there with the permission of parents to teach children can hide very contentious materials from, from parents. Now, obviously, no parent wants to demand to see the entire maths curriculum because 
Maths is a settled subject. We all agree that two plus two equals four. But these are highly contested issues which for which there is still a, a raging debate in the UK. And so it's not appropriate for schools not to uh, reveal what they're teaching to children. And the previous education secretary and minister both said as much. So I'm very surprised about the outcome of this case. Yeah, I mean, I think schools have got a lot to answer for at the moment, haven't they? Because they have gone very much in that direction uh, of, you know, not don't tell your parents, you know, don't bring them into the conversation. We won't tell them either. Um, and have a look at this material over here, because maybe you need to read that because maybe you need to change your gender. And I don't think that's any of the school's business, is it? No, absolutely. And, and here, lies the, here lies the issue and here lies the danger. If you encourage children to keep secrets from their families, if you deliberately cut children off from their parents, you will have safeguarding failures. And you do not need to be a student of history to realise what happens when you try to separate children from their parents. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we really need to reframe this debate as about the safety of children and not as about trans rights or about a culture war. It is much, much more significant than that. And also, I think we need to look at the evidence. There's been a phenomenal rise in the number of children reporting gender distress, uh, referred to gender clinics in the last 10 years. I think it's five and a half thousand percent increase in girls referred to gender clinics. And who knows how many children presenting with gender distress in schools. We need to stop and ask why. There's clear evidence that the vast majority of children with gender distress will desist from that and also have other underlying um, issues, whether that's mental health issues, perhaps they're autistic as well, hugely overrepresented uh, in this cohort. We need to be asking why and how we can support these children, not automatically accepting that they are trans, what even is a trans child. I think mm. we need to think about that carefully and that they can then use facilities of the opposite sex. That is not kind. It's not compassionate uh, to take that approach. And so I think we need to be a lot braver about how we're talking about this. Mm. And again, put safeguarding front and centre of this debate. And we hear in these sort of febrile times, you know, this phrase, follow the science an awful lot. Doesn't seem to be much science on this subject of any kind, really. I mean, is there any science that people can point to to say, well, this is what the nat natural world would say. This is what science scientists would say. Uh, this is what biologists would say. We don't seem to be talking to anybody like that. Yeah, well, I think there are some clear biological principles that hold here. So you, you can't change sex. I mean, your sex is written into the chromosomes of every single one of the cells of your body, and, and it always will be. Um, you know, clearly some people live as the opposite sex in terms of their dress and things like that. And there have always been people who, from a very early age, often present with severe gender dysphoria. And they're what we would have used to call uh, transsexuals. Um, and of course, they should be treated with absolute compassion and not discrimination. And that's absolutely right. But I think that's a separate thing from what's happening now, which is this explosion of mm. uh, adolescents deciding that they are trans or non-binary uh, in teenage years, often coming out as clusters in friendship groups and things like that. And you're right, there isn't that much science around this because it's so new. But that's why we need to be so careful. And I think we need to pay really close attention to the work of Dr. Hilary Cass, who you probably know is mm. undertaking a review for the government. And in her interim report, she drew attention to the lack of evidence uh, for this rapid onset, sudden onset gender dysphoria and also the treatments for it. But she did point out that socially transitioning a child, so allowing them to change name, to change their pronouns, to perhaps use the opposite sex facilities at school is not a neutral intervention. It could have serious long-term mm. psychological consequences. And that's obvious when you think about it. If a child is celebrated in school in front of all their peers for being brave and coming out as trans and then allowed to use opposite sex facilities, dress as the opposite sex. You know, there's no way back from that socially for a child, is it? It is there. So that is a permanent intervention, or it could be. And schools should not be doing that without medical advice, without uh, permission from parents. They should be very wary of this. So yes, there isn't enough evidence, and that's why we mustn't rush into accepting this kind of new orthodoxy that a child is trans if they say they are, and they should automatically be allowed to live with the opposite sex right and what about what it's like for you miriam because obviously jk rowling has had some horrendous abuse and, and even people turning up at her house and all that kind of thing i mean somebody asked me earlier on well please ask miriam why she's not on twitter well i think i can answer that for you uh, there's a very good reason that you wouldn't want to be abused in the way that you probably would be is it uh, is it tough for you to take this issue and, and take it on yeah, in some ways it is. And I think if I, you know, it was obviously something I'm very, very passionate about as a mother, former teacher, as a woman, because I think fundamentally this is a threat to women's rights and safety. 
Um, I'm not on Twitter because I got a lot of abuse during the general election campaign before I uh, entered this this debate, really. Um, you know, I do occasionally think about going back on. I don't want the abuse, but I do want to be able to speak in this debate. Um, but I do think it's much worse for women on the left. I have mm. to say my colleagues in the Labour Party uh, who have stood up on this issue have far, far worse. I think people expect Conservatives a bit more to, 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 to speak up for these kind of issues. So I probably don't get it as bad as some. But, you know, it is tough. But, but this is about children's safety. It's about the future mm. of our children and young people. And someone's got to speak up. Sure. Good to talk to you, Miriam. Thank you very much indeed. Miriam Cates, the Conservative MP for Penistone and Stockbridge. Um, Stocksbridge, it says there. Uh, this is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We'll take more of your calls. Do you know that some people, and I'm going to talk to Jeremy Carl about this coming up ahead of his big show tonight, 7 o'clock, some people are frightened of going back to work on a Monday. The Sunday scaries. Apparently, lots of people have them. Really? Really? This is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham here at the Home of Common Sense. I'm going to make a very official announcement now, so I'm going to put on my official voice. This evening, from 7 o'clock, for your delectation, the first ever Jeremy Kyle live show is on, on this very station, at 7 o'clock. Now, you might think this is hard to do, and it is, but we've got him here. Jeremy <laughs> Kyle is here. How I, I'm live it. as well. Live as well. As so, Julia said, which is actually the only funny thing I've ever heard her say in her life. <laughs> how much theory went into that, that, that? How much thought went into the name of that show? Mm. Jeremy Kyle, live, yeah. Well, I mean, it's better to keep it simple. I've changed since, Julia. I've been out, I've noticed, I've been yeah. out on the streets. You were wearing a shirt earlier. You're now wearing a sort of, what is it, that? It's... What? It's a sort of um, sports a, top. Well, it's not. It's with a, a zip. It's a, no, it's not. It's, it's actually kind of classy. A sports. What are you doing in here? What are you get doing? Get out. Yeah, get out. Go away. Yeah, that's the uh, former producer of this show. Uh, see you later. Dreadful. He just brought a great document in for me to read. Yes, he brought Mike a great document. He went read that by twelve, like yeah. Mike, some sort of. You know, urchin. Michael's thrown it away because you're a genius. Yeah, thank yes, you. thank you. Jeremy Carl live tonight. It, it kicks off. And uh, uh, I realised, as I said this morning, that at 57, I've reached the, the <laughs> unbelievable heights of being Piers Morgan's fluffer. Yes. Well, I mean, I think you'll be very pleased that that's the case because um, obviously people will be watching your show well, I hope in so. great numbers. If they don't, I'll get fired. And uh, the kids well, will have no Christmas presents. That won't and you'll be have good. a conscience. That won't be good. Now, I want to talk to you about a couple of stories that have, uh, mm. t- have drawn my attention. Sun- the sun- do you know what the Sunday scaries are? I do know this. Um, and shall I tell them why I know this? Because we just talked about it off yeah. Uh No, I'll tell you, Sunday scaries, these are the people who get get anxiety yes. about going back to work on a Monday. Yeah. Is that why half the bleeding country now doesn't work on a Monday well, or a Friday? apparently the department, is, this is not a, even a joke, the no. Department of Health is launching a campaign to help young people cope, cope with the Sunday scaries. This is what happens apparently on a Sunday night if you're a the young The Department person. of Health is launching a campaign that will cost the taxpayer money to look after a younger generation who might be scared of going to work on a Monday. Yes. Apparently, um, about two-thirds of young people aged between 18 and 24 regularly worry about returning to work on a Monday. Right. Um, <laughs> I, you see, I mean, the thing is, I, I, what I love about you and what I love about this station is we can actually talk about this. I know we're up. What is going on with this world? Seriously, yeah. how ludicrous is that? Yes. Do you know my daughter? Do you know where she was supposed to be today? Abu Dhabi? Moscow. Oh. Right? Yeah. She told me on Friday. Did she get anxious? I'm going to go? Moscow. She, it's been called off, thankfully, but I was getting anxious about that. Right. But I mean, that's something to be anxious about. Well, that's going slightly to anxious to say I'm going to go to Oxford, d- d- Oxford, Moscow, rather than I mean, on a serious note, yeah. right? And, and I love you, daughter. On a serious note, so so they're they're now spending money. So I mean, everybody gets anxious about all sorts of things. But what's this an excuse not to go yeah. to work? Is well, it? yes, basically. I mean, because you know how we have the people who only go to work on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And you T-W-A-T. Know what, yes, you yeah. know what we call those people. Um, so Skivers. Maybe, maybe it's very good. And maybe it's an acronym. And maybe yep. uh, this is a reason to ex- uh, to explain why people don't like going to work soft. on Mondays and Fridays. I'll tell you a story that, that I think I've probably told you before. It doesn't have to be any good. Um, I, I remember doing a sales job years and years ago down in the South. And, and I bet you were good at that. Uh, it wasn't bad. Yeah. And uh, Thanks. Um, all right, do you want to buy a car, <laughs> Governor? Anyway, I was telling radio insurance. This is absolutely radio advertising space. 
and I had one of those jobs and I made it to manager there was a lot of ridiculously useless people so I got the job anyway and it became more and more still and, the and same I, yeah thanks and I got yeah, and I got to the point where I'd be waking up at like 3 o'clock in the morning and there's little yellow post-it notes on no, the side yeah. of your bed making notes anyway I drove in to see my mum who lived down in Somerset for lunch mm. and she was do- she's dead now by the way I don't know if you know that and she was she I was have heard that then, yeah. and mm. she was doing the washing up and she, she I just didn't turn around and she said what are you doing and it was like that and I went well I've just I've come I'm a bit stressed Stress? What do you mean you stress? So I told her and she went, no, no, I'll tell you what stress is, shall I? Stress is doing your homework in an air raid shelter yeah. in the Second World War and I go back to work, you yes. get. And I went back to it's work. It's true. I honestly think we've become soft on a serious oh, We night. totally have because now we feel sorry for everybody. You're allowed to have all manner of reasons why you can't do something. Mm. Um, and I know that mental, I think it's mental health day today. Mental health is really, really, really important. Yes. And I and I talked honestly about what happened to me after what happened. I get that. And there's a lot of people who genuinely, genuinely need help. And also there's a lot of people who have never talked about it. But yeah. there is also conversely, which we need to acknowledge... There is also an underbelly of people who perhaps are jumping on that bandwagon when they shouldn't. And I, for me, oh, it's anxious to go back. Everybody gets. It anxious might be, of course, things. the parents' fault as well, because and I count myself as one because my kids are now. My youngest is fifteen. You know, they have a much more, I would say. Um, comfortable lifestyle than the one I had when I was well I'm lucky up. I'm lucky with Vic and I'd probably be as soft as you with my kids she she absolutely put her foot down mm. when they're 16 if you want to continue to get pocket money you get a job yeah. and both my girls 118 116 both work in the local pub and do an eight-hour shift yeah. and earn their 10 pounds an hour and that's how it should be because you teach that yeah, ethic you've totally. got to teach that ethic totally yeah one of my kids is going to go off and work in a pizza joint um because he, he, he doesn't like pubs he thinks it's they work they work him too hard does he? Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I said, okay, we'll see how you feel making But it's the whole generational thing, Mikey, isn't it? Because we didn't have anything unless we could afford to yeah. buy it. Now, nowadays, everybody, yeah. I think, but then they say, oh, you're really old. No, I'm not old. I mean, I was old last night, by the yeah. way. I said about this, went to Robbie Williams. Oh, yeah. Um, it was okay. No, it was okay. It was. I enjoyed the concert and the company. Mm. But he's fifty, and yeah. he kept putting a dressing gown on and sitting down in between the songs. And I thought, yeah, I feel like that. <laughs> I feel like that. But. You've either got the work ethic or you haven't. Yes. We should absolutely be on mental health, but we should also understand there's a lot of people Yeah, but we are... shouldn't use it as an excuse either. No. And I think, you know, it kind of, it, it, it disparages those who really do need the help absolutely. Uh, to make out that everybody's got a problem absolutely. and that everybody's problems have to be solved. So tell us about the show tonight. Listen, it, it is it is what it is. Um, you know, for me, it's really simple. Um, there are so many mainstream, I think we're mainstream, but the, the mainstream media tell you what the news is. What I want talk to be, certainly on that show, is, look, you said it, you launched it here. It's about common sense. It's about the things that affect the people. And we're not talking about the London-centric liberals. No. We're talking about Bob in our broth, my, my viewer and listener. Do you know, our, I talk f- about our figures that. here at Talk TV are much, um, I would say, better than most mainstream media outfits of outside of London. And, and what, because people outside of London are of sick course, of the London-centric stuff. Of course they stuff. are. And, and also, apart from that London-centric stuff... Real people with their take on the news, right? You can have politicians and celebrities, but I want to know. I've always done it with that cost of living when I did Piers' show in the summer. How is it affecting your wallet, the money in your pocket, your family, your mortgage, your kids, your heating? So constructive advice and involvement of people, which mm. we do on the radio, but we haven't done yet on the television, which is people involved in the show. Yes. Yes, celebrity interviews. Yes, big political beasts. Yes, opinions. Yes, questions. Stuff out on the street, all that stuff. But I want to involve people in mm. it. That's the idea. Now, it says here uh, there's no oh. after show party. No. That's not what you told me. Because that's one of the reasons I'm coming. Mm. But apparently, there's you're no starring on the show party. tonight. Am I? I? Can I absolutely announce this? Am you I allowed can, to announce yeah, it? On. Uh, one of the biggest signings for Jeremy Carlyle is Mike <laughs> Graham. No, no, honestly, <laughs> twice a week, the legend twice with his week. with his TV wife. Am I allowed to say that? You can say that. Uh, the new Richard and Judy, yes. Michael and Ava. On a tune yes. in, my friends. It's like a dogfight. I saw her on a, a Friday night actually because she was in doing something in this building, and so we had a little chat. She's and, brilliant. Uh, she is great. Yeah, I do like I'm it. really looking forward to you in the showdown later on. Mm. Uh, we've got Ant Middleton from the SAS programme. I'm not going to ask him He's about He's a scary what, man. He can I'm kill gonna, people with his bare hands. Well, gun. this is why I've set myself a challenge. I'm yeah. thinking, how can I take them on, right? The weekend was National World Conquer Championship. Right. So why I'm going to play Conquers <laughs> with Ant Middleton. Are you good at Conquers? I, my, my, mine are in the oven. They've got vinegar on. I've got my corkscrew. I'm all sorted right. for later. Don't worry. Because I never really mastered Conquer fights. I never. I wasn't much. So if I'm not good at something, I don't do it. Right. I think I did it for one season. 
and thought Julia said, "Don't, don't you think you should this. put your coconut and your coconuts, your your your, your, your yeah in the in the freezer?" I went, "No, well, I don't love. What are you talking about? That's not what you do with them. No, no. Also, Ian Blackford, on a serious note, leader of oh, the good. SNP on the show, because of course the Scots want well that wee woman. Does I he guess, hate like, Tories as well. He hates the Tories. She yeah. hates the Tories. The only thing I would say about Scotland, you and I'll be as one on this. Yeah, have your independence, no. or that you've had one. But wait a minute. But you can't have it with the king or the queen and the pound and everything. If you want to go, be gone and don't yes. come back. Yeah, but I don't want that because, of Why? course, I'm actually Scottish. Both my parents are oh, from Scotland. Are I believe in the union. I believe in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And I don't think that... But I uh, thought a majority of Scots did, but according no, to the we one... No, they true. Yeah, but the, well, she would say that, wouldn't she? But the point is, is that if it wasn't for Westminster continually arguing with her, she yeah. wouldn't have a job. Well, I, I reckon it's it, that is absolutely true. I think that's all she's about. I, yeah. And if and if they crush this, she'd, she'd be nothing. Yeah, I, That story you told me earlier about her will live I used to be good friends with her. And we used to drink on a fairly regular basis. She went grey at an early age, She did she? very much so, yeah, which was unusual. So uh, yeah. I was curious about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, used to, we used to drink Verve Clicquot in oh. Regano's. Um, Did you? Uh, yeah. me know. Um, imagine her drinking Verve Clico. Yeah. But anyway, listen, um, you are on. Well, Ava's on. exciting. Aunt Middleton's on. Ian Blackford's on. Yeah. We're going to talk strikes as well. We're going to talk cost of living. Yeah, we'll there's a 999 strike today. That's good, isn't it? Well, here's the, yeah, but here's the thing. Do, are, are we more sympathetic about emergency services no. going on strike? They shouldn't be. No. It's an emergency. What do you happen to your 999? Sorry, we're on strike. Oh, okay then. What do I do now? We're here every day. What do you do now? If they don't answer the phone. Well, you, I don't it's know. It's an emergency. Well, you, you're not going to be able to have anybody to answer. Um, are you looking forward to tonight? Very much. Very much. I've even brought a sec- I've brought two jackets and two ties, so you can judge for yourself. Have you brought another shirt? No, I like this one. You don't like this one? I love this one. I think you're the most sartorial elegance, elegant of anybody. Yeah, no, I'm wearing a white shirt, but I've got a black jacket and a grey jacket. We can't wait to have you on. Thank you so much. Looking for forward support. to it. So, Jeremy Carl live tonight from 7. Sky 526, Virgin Media 606, Freeview 237 <laughs> on the Talk TV app. Tell your friends, because if I get... Honestly, if this doesn't work, I'm stuffed. You're man. done. He's done. This is his last honestly, chance. Is last last chance saloon. He's honestly, in it. Please. I'm in it too. See you later. <laughs>